0: you are significant you have seeds of greatness inside of you you are not on accident you are on purpose you are here for a very divine special purpose and we are going to talk in this podcast about evidence that you are significant We are here today with Cheryl Edmond. Cheryl is a friend of mine that I met a few years ago um, at a women's event one weekend that we both got invited to. It was only about 30 women there. And we really came together to talk about business. And it ended up that the Holy Spirit showed up big (laughs) that weekend and ended up leading the weekend a totally different way and it it was such a bonding experience wasn't it Cheryl so we became I think lifetime friends and um we have just been good buddies supporting each other and each other's ventures ever since, and I am so thrilled that Cheryl is the first guest on You Are Significant. Cheryl has such a beautiful heart, and the Lord has really led her to find her significance, and she has leaned in 110%. So I wanted to just start today, Cheryl, by letting you share um, some of your backstory with us about how um maybe a little bit about how you grew up and um, started your family and those kind of things.
1: Absolutely. I um I started out early in my career as a police dispatcher and not not that many people know that. But um at the time uh I had I had gotten married and we had a little boy and my 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 former husband had decided that drugs and alcohol were more important than his family. And, you know, it was an addiction. So it wasn't something that he had a lot of control over. So he left and um, much to uh, our chagrin. So I needed a job. So I uh, found myself um, uh, applying for a police dispatcher's position, which really turned out to be a great match for my personality and and who I am as a person. And I I grew up in a police family. My father-in-law, my father was 27 years in law enforcement and retired second in command. And so, you know, I knew that lifestyle. And uh, when I was interviewed, uh, they, I was working at a church at the time. And so they thought that, um, you know, I, I might have a lot of trouble with, with the men using, you know, bad language and all those things. And could I hold my own? So in the interview panel, they have a bad guy and a good guy, and then have a neutral person. And so they want to, you know, test you and see how far they can, um, they can, uh, intimidate you or, you know, get you to lose your temper or whatever. So, uh, finally they were asking me one particular question and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was to test my, my, you know, test my patience, if you will. So the bad guy was asking me and I, I finally, I was fed up with him, but you know, I don't want to lose my temper. So I I raised my finger to him and I said, listen, I said, uh, when I grew up, I said, uh, the block I grew up on was all boys and I have two younger brothers and I was a bit of a tomboy. So when we played army, I was the general. So (laughs) it's all I could think of (laughs) is the only story I could think of to get his attention. So uh, anyway, it worked. I did get the job. And uh, I spent eight years there in my career, and uh, and it it was it provided a nice living for us, and I could take care of business and and taking care of my son. Um, I did find myself in a position where financially, at at a couple points, it was difficult, and the child the child uh, support stopped, and I called to find out about it my with my former husband, and he and he said, well, I don't have the money, and he said he was out of state by this time, and. He said, uh, "You know, Cheryl, you can't get blood out of a turnip." And I said, "Well, watch me. Just watch me do that. <laughs> so, don't challenge me because I will. I will rise to the occasion." So as it turned out, um, I, and I'm sharing that story to kind of set the background for for uh, what I'm going to share with you in a moment. But I had I ended up having to call the district attorney's office in the state where he was living. They really wouldn't listen to what I had to say. It was, you know, at a time in our, in our country where, you know, child support and those kind of things really were kind of on the back burner. And obviously they've changed, which is really good. But I ended up having to call the governor of that state because the district attorney asked me to stop calling their office every month. So I did. I called the governor's office and literally two weeks later, they had his hips in court and I got my child support. So um, one of the things that I learned early was how to be your own advocate. You know, uh, do I sit back? I had to, I had to make a choice. Do I sit back and, um, you know, struggle and how how I'm going to put groceries on the table for my three-year-old or am I going to advocate, advocate for myself and do whatever I can do within my means to, to uh, find a different outcome. So what I really found out about myself was that I wasn't willing to be a victim over and over and over again. And so that's just a couple of uh, short stories about how I had to make choices uh, in that work in, in, in law enforcement. One, one of the things that I found was the characteristic is that about 98% of those that make a career in law enforcement actually come from alcoholic families or dysfunctional families and one of the reasons that they have that commonality is because they really understand chaos they really understand how to survive it and let let the water just like on a duck's back just roll off when they're when they are in the middle of a crisis so in law enforcement you know you're seeing people at their worst so not their best but their worst day So, um, I didn't grow up in a family like that. So my dad did, he was, uh, he was a son of an alcoholic, but he could just let that stuff roll off. He could solve the crisis and then move on. And for me, I was born, you know, with the, with the glass half full. And so, you know, I was very optimistic and always, you know, looking for solutions. So I decided after eight years uh, in that line of work that it was time to move on and I wanted to go back and get my degree, and I really wanted to do something in terms of how could I help people be their own advocate? How could I help them be a voice wi- uh, for themselves when possibly they couldn't do it on their own? And that really was probably the smartest thing that I had done, and again, getting to know myself and understanding where my strengths and, and, uh, were and, and how I could use those for other folks.
0: So, so kind of what support. did you end up getting your degree in, then, Cheryl? Um,
1: human development. So, mm-hmm. I love learning how people love to learn and think. So, mm-hmm. I have a I have a um, certificate in um, Myers Briggs assessments and uh, communications assessments, and it's it's kind of the it's why kind of why I wear my red glasses because it's uh, the workshop I created is called the Red Glasses Encounter. So in the Myers-Briggs communications assessment, you identify how other folks, the pair of glasses that they wear and how they see the world. And then you also identify how you like to see the world. And so they're different. And so you learn how to honor others and their preferences. Mm -hmm. And then again, build it it kind of builds that bridge, if you will, and, uh, and honoring others and caring for one another. So uh, that was very intriguing to me. So that was part of my curriculum that I learned, and have used it for years, and and really like to use it in, in, as a powerful tool to help folks understand each other better. So it was really really fun to to go into that area of. Yes,
0: education. years ago I was blessed to read Personality Plus. Yes. Yes. So- so communication is so, and I love what you were sharing with us at the beginning about um, learning how you just were not going to be a victim of your circumstances. And I think that communication yeah. is such a key part of that. And I, I can't help but think that for the circumstances you found yourself in, maybe that drew you to go into a communication-involved um, degree and so as you move forward then from that point what did that lead you to do
1: well from there uh then I went on to a a career as director of human resources for several organizations and organizational leadership so I built workshops and found myself in organizational leadership and development conducting um, um workshops and leading others in order uh in leadership, literally, and how, you know, how to be a more effective leader, how to communicate again, more clearly and effectively and helping folks influence others and and motivate them in a way to a higher calling. And uh, so that's how I spent probably the next 30 years or so up until I retired. And uh, I loved that work. It's again, kind of like law enforcement. Human resources development. Uh, every day is different. There's always something new on your plate when you're dealing with with people, and uh, so it's
0: never the same. And I love that variety. <laughs> uh huh. It's so funny because um, some people prefer not to work with people, but you have a heart to work with people. And we need both kinds because there's jobs in both areas and we need support people like technical writers that sit in the background and write our manuals for things. That's a type of communication too. Um, but I love that you pick the human resources and development and, um, your and work reminds a listen- me a lot of what John Maxwell does. So Yes. Mm-hmm. I was a
1: big fan of his uh, when he was in his 30s. I'm uh-huh. dating myself. But I remember him coming on the scene and read his books and, and listened to him. He's from uh, Southern California. So I, I knew him early on and about him. So I've not met him personally, but a um, big fan of his for years and years and years and watched him grow and develop. And, um, and we need more people like the John Maxwell's uh, of the nation, if you will, to assist folks in literally understanding one another and helping one another and honoring.
0: Yes,
1: I, I really, I really respect him.
0: That's awesome. So Cheryl and I um, met at a women's conference. She was in a health crisis by that point. And um, I love her story. And I want her to tell a little bit about that with you because her attitude was not, um, this is a crisis. Her attitude was really different in that situation. So can you just kind of back up to the Tell us that story from from the beginning and how you got through that
1: I will um, in two thousand and nineteen, I was living in Alaska, which was a dream come true. Uh, I, I love the wild wild west, if you will, and you remember I grew up on that block with all the boys. Well, our families, several of our families, we all went camping to the high country of Utah every summer, so I grew up you know fishing and Um, rowing the boats and, you know, and hiking and all that kind of stuff. So outdoors stuff I loved. So living in Alaska was a dream come true. And um, when I was there in 2019, I got a health scare. So I went in to see my doctor and found a lump on my breast and went in for a a biopsy. And um, before I knew what happened, I was sitting in front of the best breast surgeon in the state who's telling me that I have, uh, I have a cancer diagnosis. So a few more tests and a few, a few more CAT scans and all those things they do. Uh, I get, I find that I've got a diagnosis of stage four metastatic breast cancer secondary to my liver and it's a terminal, it's a terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, um, I go through radiation, I go through, you know, chemotherapy, I go through radiation, I go through having a mastectomy. And when I was sitting in front of that breast surgeon, you know, and I've known her all of 10 minutes, she's asking me all kinds of questions, you know, they're doing a history because they're doing some research. So this is before the, this is, this is right after she shared this news with me. And it's, it's, um, it's pretty surreal time. And I have one of my, one of my friends from church up there was with me. So I wasn't alone. And um, she says, uh, we're going to do, we're doing some research. So I'd like to ask you some questions. And did you eat ever, did you eat regularly dark chocolate? Were you on birth control pills as, as a younger woman? Um, Did you drink hard liquor? Um, And she just went through this really odd list of questions And, you know, I'm saying, no, 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 no. You know, so they're looking for consistencies and silver threads with, you know, all the folks that they interviewed. But at that time, she stopped talking and she looked at me, uh, darling, and she said, Cheryl, she said, are you listening to me? And I looked at her and I said, I hear every word you're saying. And I don't know if she expected me to be in a puddle of tears, you know, or what she expected. But uh, I said, yeah, I hear every word you're saying. And at that very moment, I got what I call the word from the Lord on my heart as I've been in, I've been walking in faith now 40, 50 years. And so what I heard was, Cheryl, she's the surgeon and there's two job descriptions here. She's the surgeon with the trained hands and I'm the almighty healer. So Mm -hmm. let's not get confused.
0: (laughs) Right.
1: I had at that moment, I had perfect peace. I have never had any fear from that day forward. Never. Wow. And I have to attribute that to walking in faith, understanding who I am in Jesus Christ, understanding my identity and literally Mm -hmm. exercising that faith muscle every single day. If you think it doesn't matter whether you read your scripture today or whether you journaled today or whether you prayed today, it makes a difference.
0: Yes. Yes. Amen. So daily, daily time with God, that quiet time. I love to spend time with him in the morning because I commit my day to him. In the morning, and I know that you do the same. You're a person of faith, and you know it really makes a difference. And it's not necessarily about today, it's about when that moment comes that we are going to be tried, and that those moments will come. The scriptures say that those who are faithful will be persecuted, and we don't know what form that's going to take, it takes different forms for each one of us. But you met your day, and in that moment, it paid off because you had such a strong relationship. Well,
1: and I recognized it,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: number two, he showed up immediately. It wasn't mm-hmm. the next day. It wasn't the night the, the after dinner. I mean, it was right now in that chair, in that seat, facing that surgeon.
0: Yes. So and powerful. that's key because you were used to being still and listening for that, you know, that knowing or that whisper. Different people call it different things, but I like what you said. You know, you were listening for that um, voice of the Lord, and He helped you to know He was the real healer.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, no doubt in my mind. She
0: was the trained hand and he was the true healer. <laughs> yes. and if, you uh, also got a, a a group of prayer warriors praying. you yes, got started yes, gathering prayer warriors, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, two things I want to share. Um, uh, I did when I went home from from that meeting, I set up a, a list of prayer warriors across the country. Friends of mine that I knew. Uh, that were very faithful uh, in their prayer life and and literally prayer warriors. Mm -hmm. And I made an email list and I sent a note out to all of them telling them what situation I was in and I needed them to be on their knees for fervent prayer to assist me in this journey. And what came to my mind, and you probably remember this when I had a chance to speak in Louisiana when we were together for our second retreat, is that what came to my mind in building that list is I didn't want any mamby Pambies on that list.
0: <laughs> I didn't no mamby-pambys. I didn't want
1: anybody on that list who had a like a lukewarm relationship that the Lord might not hear them because he didn't mm. know
0: them. Right. So
1: I, I wanted That's a right. very strong list of folks that I knew that would keep their word that were' prayer warriors that uh, would be on board with me uh, to petition um, um, my health and petition my recovery. Yeah, uh, it worked.
0: It worked because and and let's emphasize here, you um, not only had stage four breast cancer, but you also had liver cancer, right? Correct.
1: Yeah, there were three spots on my liver and uh, they're not there anymore. And one of the things that Alaska had to offer, which I think was rather providential is there, there is a, um, they call it, um, um, it's a laser surgery and, um, it's only available in Alaska and in Texas. It's a very high tech procedure and the, the cancer on my liver, there, there are three spots, but two, one spot, was close enough to the top of the skin that they could do this laser surgery. And um, so uh, it was a, typically this laser surgery was for prostate cancer for men, but the breast tissue, they can't do, they can't use it on the breast tissue because the breast tissue is too soft. So, but on the liver, they could, it was right at the top of my skin so they could use it for that particular spot. So they did. It's uh, it took, uh, it's five doctors, and they spend forty hours building this laser. Um, uh, uh I guess you'd call it therapy or this laser, you know, attack, uh, and then uh, this formula of how this laser is going to shoot on this particular spot and then you have then you have to go i had to go they told me initially for five 1-hour sessions uh with this laser so this laser is the is bigger than a car i mean it's huge so you're laying on this table in this room and the whole room is filled up with this laser machine and then they ask you you know what kind of music the, the you want put on so I, of course i want you know i want the best christian uh <laughs> music that they got <laughs> and uh, you know, I want all the praise music I could find so, yes,
0: lots of hey, praise Jesus, music so
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got everybody I could think of on there, and, uh, so I don't want any like you know uh concert music or instrumental uh you know uh classical I want you know I want big, bold you know <laughs> you know shouting from the ceiling, praise music, and hallelujah, you know, so yeah, anyway, and they give you this fantastic shirt to wear, and it's like clingy to your skin. It's like an athletic shirt, if you will. And you get to keep it, but it it uh, it holds you kind of in. So um, they have you lay on this table, which was terrible. But uh, anyway, this laser beam, um, this formula, uh, they said would be five one-hour treatments. And it actually ended up I only needed three. So I was glad they overestimated because it was not easy to do lay there because it's a really skinny table for whatever reason and uh, your arms want to fall off of it. So anyway, that blasted that liver uh, tumor. So it was gone. So I don't have that anymore. Wow. And there, The other, the other two places had, um, were were teen really teeny teeny tiny but they marked them so in case they ever change they wouldn't lose finding them again so um i do now looking back kind of fast forwarding i do have some liver damage but it was due um uh, not to the cancer but to the radiation uh that i had but i am working there's a, there's a liver surgeon that I'm working with and she and I are best friends every six months. So, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. So, but I, I want, cool. And I want I want to tell you a quick story about that really quick. Uh, this is another kind of warning for women. So I go through uh, chemotherapy. I go through radiation or I go through a, a mastectomy. Uh, oh, yeah. Here's a story too quick. Um, so I'm so the breast surgeon goes in to do her job, right? She's got the trained hands. When she goes in to do her job, Darlene, there is no cancer in my system. She has nothing to take out. She had no job to do that day. There were two strands of scar tissue that she took out. And that's the only thing she had to do.
0: Wow. So.
1: When I went back to the oncologist after that mastectomy, uh, the oncologist said, Cheryl, we've never seen results like this before. We are going to be talking about this for a very long time. There is no cancer in your system.
0: Wow. That is such a blessing. Well, when you were talking, it reminded me of James 5, 16 that says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so I think it's really significant that you gathered the prayer warriors. One, you heard that message that God is the true healer and you believe that with all your heart and you had peace around yourself. You didn't spend time worrying. And I think so many times people who don't get well, um, and, and not passing judgment or anything, it, it would be natural to be scared, very scared. But, um, you know, I think it's so powerful that you had that peace. And again, the fact that you had spent time so much time in scripture and prayer and in listening and being still journaling, um, that is so significant that you were able to really embrace peace when this came upon you. And then also, we can't help but Think about the wisdom of the Lord. And Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, saith the Lord. And so his wisdom was delivered to these doctors that spent 40 hours building this laser that was able to work on removing that liver cancer. That it sounds like something out of a movie almost, Cheryl. Did you feel yeah, like good. that when you were laying on that skinny table? I did. <laughs> like, is this I really, real?
1: <laughs> I really did. I well, and there's a special name for one of these doctors that heads up this group of these five. You know, I mean they're they're physics people. I mean they're you know the, they're they're doctors with a physics degree. I mean you know these are brainiacs and uh, but and I I can't remember the name of the the doctor's title, but it was a very odd title for a doctor that, you know, that I've never heard of because of course I have never had to be in front of somebody that, that, uh, you know, collects data for laser surgery, but anyway, they have a very special title. So, and there's very few of them. There's very few of them around the country.
0: You're uh, just so, so blessed that those came together to collaborate Yes. probably in their mind on a project, but you had, you and the cancer you had happened to be their collaboration and what a blessing it was. Yeah. Now
1: mm-hmm. I was interviewed by a guy, um, a few months ago, he was, a he had a podcast and his, so he was interviewing me for, um, to share my story and it was telling him about the surgeon with the trained hands and uh and the story you know and how the lord spoke to me and he stopped me mid-sentence and he said cheryl he said i was a surgical tools salesman for my entire career he said and what you're saying is just got i just have goosebumps on my arms he said yeah that is exactly what uh, surgeons do they're not they're not part of the healing process. Mm-hmm. They literally are laser focused on that that surgery and what they're supposed to do when they go in uh, to, you know, when they open up your body. So he said, what you're describing is what I saw in the operating room as a salesman with these surgeons all day long. He said, and yes. you would have no way to know that.
0: No. No, and it's such a great perspective, you know, really. And sometimes maybe that tool surgeon's um tool sales guy felt insignificant. He did not realize fully the part that he had to play. And I think sometimes that is how our influence is. We have so much influence and significance on other people's lives, and yet we don't realize it until we meet somebody like you, where maybe this, the tools we sold were part of the healing journey. So, yes.
1: And when we were at the retreats, the first retreat, especially, and then obviously the second retreat where we got a chance to really kind of know each other a little better. That first retreat, I was not well, I was, I felt, and I described myself, you know, I was still going through chemotherapy and, uh, and all of that. Um, And I was tired and had to take a couple naps and stuff. But I remember thinking uh, very pointedly, what was on my heart was that women in that group there really needed to know who they were in Jesus Christ. Did they have their identity in Jesus Christ? What scripture do they hang their hat on day in and day out that defines them? as a person, as a woman, as a mother, as a daughter, as a sister, you know, so on and so on and all these titles, but do they, at the end of the day, understand who they are in Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. So that's what propelled me because the way I described myself at that retreat out there in Sparta was, uh, was I felt like a dusty old tumbleweed that came rolling up on the porch (laughs) (laughs) You guys just dragged me in. (laughs) So tired and so parched.
0: (laughs) I remember you just kind of slumped over, but with all your might still there and your eyes were watering and, you know, you were fighting, you were fighting for all your might. And yet it was important to you to be there and you still contributed. I remember you still speaking during the event.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, yeah. and again, and so our second what
0: I, retreat, you shared your story. And I'm curious if you have, you mentioned, you know, having our identity and Christ and the scriptures that remind us of that. Did that bring any particular scriptures to mind for you? Do you have a life verse or?
1: Yes, you know, uh, for me personally, the verse that's been a part of my life since, uh, again, when my son was very little and found myself as a single mother and wondering how I was going to provide for my family, if you will, that the, the two of us. Um the scripture that that I've uh find out my identity in is Genesis twenty two fourteen, the Lord will provide always. You know, Abraham mm-hmm. sacrifices his son and puts him on the stone and, you know, is is ready to give him over to the Lord and and take his life. And so I always identified with that scripture as a parent. Could I really do that? Do I have the faith that Abraham had? Could I ever have that much faith that the Lord would um, would care for us and take care of us? And it's just been proven to me over and over and over and over again through the years that absolutely he's been there every step of the way, uh, whether I really recognized it consciously or not, you know, as stories kind of come out, things, incidents happen, you're like, you look back and go, okay, I was protected that entire time. (laughs) Oh, I was provided for that entire time. Uh, Another quick story. um, This was when my son was probably 10 or 11 and we would go to church on Sunday night. We would go Sunday morning. We would go Wednesday night. His hips were in church with me you know, all the, all those times. And, um, one Sunday afternoon I was getting dinner ready so that we could have dinner before we went back to Sunday night church. And I think it was around the Thanksgiving time. And anyway, I was in the kitchen chopping carrots and I was very worried about, I didn't have enough money to get, this is Sunday. I didn't have enough money to get groceries to get to next Friday. Just, you know, it was, it was tough you know, on a single parent income. So I was chopping those carrots and I was just chopping, 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 chopping. chopping. And all of a sudden uh, I hear this word again from the Lord and a fairly new Christian, fairly new born again. I mean, I was raised in the church Mm -hmm. and I knew about Jesus, but, you know, for him to be mine, I was a fairly new relationship. And what I heard was, if you trust me, why do you worry? Mm. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> if you yeah, trust me, why tr- do you worry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I looked down and here are these carrots are now like minced carrots. <laughs> <laughs> i chopped them so much. <laughs> so I got minced carrots for dinner.
0: <laughs> you had worry <laughs> carrots for dinner. <laughs> I- <laughs>
1: I had worried. We had worry carrots for dinner. I love that.
0: that. You had worried all worried those carrots till they were just tiny bits. Yeah.
1: So, so yeah, that's that's what I should call it. Have you heard the worry carrot story? So, right. The worry carrot story. So we go out. We we have dinner. We go out front uh, to get in the car, uh, out the front door. And here is a box sitting on my front porch of over $200 worth of groceries. Wow.
0: Wow. The Lord provided yep. just like your life verse, Genesis yep. twenty two fourteen. 14, the Lord yep. will provide always. And when yep. you um, were talking about, The worry carrots. (laughs) It made me think about Rachel (laughs) Luna at Align this, you know, last week. We were just there with Brooke Hemingway. And Rachel Luna, um, she was sharing about worry. And she said, you know, and this is strong to say, but worry is really like worshiping the devil. Because if we have faith, then. Even as a mustard seed, then we're going to be walking by faith, walking in the light, um, all of those things that are good. But if we worry, then that's just like offering up a sacrifice of our thoughts, our time, our energy unto the devil. And so that was really like, boom, you know, mic drop. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had never thought about worry being a sacrifice, as if unto the devil. So, um, well, you know, and
1: and and you know, and she's right. If you're if you're consumed with worry, then is there any room in your heart for Jesus?
0: No, and you're frozen. That's if you're, you're consumed with worry. You're standing at the carrot board. <laughs> you're not out there using the gift you do have because we always have a gift. Even in, and we've all met a. F- you know, someone it's few, but someone who we thought, oh, I need to help them. And then they turn around and help us and they use their gift. They might give something old out of their house that and they just want to bless you and they bring a blessing out of their need. And so we always have something to give, but we can't see it if we're consumed with worry.
1: Yes. When we went to church that night, I overheard some of the people talking, and uh, what had happened was, because there was no note in the box of groceries, so I had no idea where they came from. And um, so when we went to church, I heard some of the folks talking that that afternoon, the church leaders had um, gathered to put these food boxes together for the local community, which they did every year. I knew that. And but for the less fortunate families, that's why I think that I think it was around Thanksgiving where they were getting these boxes ready. And one of the gentlemen uh, on the team, who was new to the team, he and his wife, he's a fireman in town, and he spoke up and said, "You know, um, we do need to, you know, continue this ministry as we put these food boxes together. But have you guys noticed that we've got like." five single mothers in church now. And, you know, they always need more. There's always a need there. So should we not set aside for the first time a food box for each one of those single mothers
0: and their children? Mm -hmm. So they did. Wow. And that just shows how the Lord works to help people realize where there is need. He's, he was working in your heart on that day that you found out you had cancer. He was working in your heart on um, the days that you had to lay on that skinny, skinny table. <laughs> and he was working on those people's heart at the church when they realized, hey, we need to be thinking of the single moms in our midst and that we yeah. can bless them.
1: There's one more story that uh, I think is very significant. When I got my diagnosis for the cancer and I was still in Alaska and I had, I had all of my chemotherapy treatment up there, uh, the church really stepped in to help me and I didn't have any family up there. Um, one of the things that I did early on was I went to the elders and said, uh, I would like you to anoint me with oil and uh, pray over me. And because um, years earlier, I had a very close friend of mine and she passed from cancer, from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And when she was re-diagnosed, that's what she did. Her dad was a pastor. She was a very, she was a, you know, a very strong uh, person of faith. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to do exactly what Cynthia did. So I did. And so I went to them and they said, absolutely. So I expected them to do it in front of the church and they did not, but that was fine. Mm -hmm. So, but in the elders quarters, they all met. And then some of my friends uh, joined us Mm -hmm. and I remember them saying, well, Cheryl, we're going to read from uh, the scripture in James where it's, you know, uh, where it says, this is what, you know, this is what we're to do if we're ill Mm -hmm. and, and bring it before the church. And I thought, yes, that's exactly why I'm here. (laughs)
0: Huh? <laughs> the book that of James is but... rich and so applicable to living a so, life of significance.
1: So mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to insult the man, but I just thought, well, yeah, that's exactly why I'm here. <laughs> so anyway, they did, but that act of obedience mm-hmm. really made a difference. I did not have the forethought of how they would come alongside me as a church in the months to come,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was huge.
0: Yes, was you're so huge. right to really and truly um, live into our life of significance and to realize our significance. Obedience is a key key ingredient to that. It really. I love is. that you brought that up. Yeah. So
1: um, I really that was a very significant point, and I again, I like to teach that. I like people to know that I want to, you know, send that message straight up, uh, mm-hmm. because that's what the church is for. That's one mm-hmm. of the, that's one of the roles of the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I really, um, I'm very thankful for, for, um, all of their support and obviously their, their obedience as well. It, it really right. shows they, they yes. stand right up to the plate.
0: Amen. So and well, they
1: did tell me, excuse me, they did tell me that I was the first person in 30 years of that church who came forward and asked to be anointed with oil.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful for you, Cheryl, and you are definitely a significant person in my life. And I'm so glad that God has shown you multiple times that you yes. are significant and that it mattered that you rose to the occasion for your son and you leaned into your faith and you found a way for him. And um, I, we've talked a little bit about him and how he has grown up to become a success as well. And um, So I appreciate you being a guest and coming on and being our first guest on You Are Significant. Thank you so much, Cheryl. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to You Are Significant. Please leave us a review. Please leave comments. Give us a like and share this out. We appreciate you here on You Are Significant. And I cannot wait till next time to spend time with you.